This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Uh, we have a wonderful guest. Uh, our author for tonight is Cynthia Brannigan, and I just love the book. It's going to be unique, interesting. You know, we have a lot of books about dogs and cats and, and various other critters on the show, but how many times have we had someone that has written about diving horses? So this is exciting stuff. So we're going to come back and uh, talk to Cynthia Brannigan about her book, The Last Diving Horse in America, Rescuing Gamel and Other Animals, Lessons of Living and Loving. So we're going to talk a little bit to Cynthia about that. So we're super excited. Uh, everybody hang tight. We'll come back right for this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life. And that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. My special guest today, she's an author. She's also the founder of Make Peace with Animals Incorporated. She pioneered the adoption of retired racing greyhounds worldwide, which is fantastic work. We applaud her for that. And she's here to talk to us about her latest book, The Last Diving Horse in America. We got author Cynthia Brannigan on. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me. Yeah, our pleasure, our pleasure. I was uh, so excited. Uh, obviously, I got uh, word of the book, and I'm like, okay, yeah, as I mentioned in the intro, it's like, this is a first for me. I thought I knew everything there was about critters and history and, and uh, everything going on, but I didn't know anything about this. So we're excited. The book's called The Last Diving Horse in America, Rescuing Gamel and Other Animals. So we'll talk about the greyhounds and the other great work you do. Lessons in Living and Loving. So tell us a, a little about the, the premise of the book and uh, the unique angle and, and sort of what brought you uh, interest into this particular uh, topic in history and time. At the time um, that this book takes place, I was working for an organization called the Fund for Animals. It was run and founded by an author, Cleveland Amory, and um, he was sort of considered the founding father of the modern animal protection movement. And I was working, uh, I volunteered for several years, and then he gave me a paying job, very low paying job. <laughs> but um, I worked for him for several years, although the office was based in New York, and I'm in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, sort of halfway between New York and Philadelphia. 
But from time to time, he would call on me to take care of the fund while he would be off on a lecture tour, or as it happened in this case, he was lecturing on the QE2 with his assistant, and somebody had to answer the phone, (laughs) basically, for the fund. And if all hell broke loose, I guess I was supposed to handle it. But honestly, I wasn't all that well equipped, but I did my best. But one day a phone call came in from, sounded like an elderly woman asking for Mr. Amory. And I said, well, he's not here. Can I help you? And she said, this is an emergency. Who the hell is in charge there? And I, oh my God, (laughs) me. Um, And so she told me about the last diving horse was about to go on the auction block. And I knew what the diving horses were. Having grown up in New Jersey, they performed on a place called the Steel Pier in Atlantic City. Certainly everyone in New Jersey had heard of the diving horses, Eastern Pennsylvania, probably New York, Delaware. Everybody knew about the diving horses. But the idea that one of them, the last one, was imperiled was horrifying. I mean, the act the act itself was a bit horrifying. Yeah, tell us a little bit about the act. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt, yes. but yeah, it's like a diving horse. I'm trying, you know, for the audience are like, okay, I haven't heard of this and I can picture it. Yes. You know, what's going on here? <laughs> well, it was an act that actually started in 1894 by uh, the world's greatest sharpshooter, a man who used to be in business with Buffalo Bill Cody. So that gives you kind of an idea of. Yeah. The kinds of things that people thought of as entertainment in those days. Yeah, the showmanship, as they called it, I guess. Yes, showmanship. Um, And uh, Doc Carver, the inventor of the Diving Horse Act, had several stories about how the act was invented, including he jumped off a bridge when it collapsed beneath him. He was on horseback and they swam to shore and that gave him the idea. Another one, he was being chased by wild Indians and dove off a bridge to escape the Indians. It's unclear exactly how the act was started, but it was a big hit in this country starting around the turn of the 19th century. And what happened was a horse would run up a ramp by itself, 40 feet, between 40 feet and 60 feet. When it got to the top, there would be a platform. In the beginning, the horse would dive by itself into a tank, 10 feet of water, if you can imagine that. But um, Doc Carver, being a showman, thought, you know, this act is lacking something. I ought to get a woman to be on the horse's back, and then together they'll jump into the tank. And he... (laughs) (laughs) actually was able to find women to do it. And um, he had two troops of horses going all over east of the Mississippi and west of the Mississippi. But after he died, the three remaining employees decided that the place for the act was the steel pier in Atlantic City. At the time, the steel pier was considered the showplace of the nation. That's how it built itself. Mm -hmm. And they were ready to take on the diving horses. So from starting in 1929, from Memorial Day until Labor Day, they would perform about four times a day, six days a week. And again, the horse would run up the ramp. The woman in the bathing suit would jump on its back. Sometimes the horse would jump before she even had a chance to get on. But other times the horse would wait, should sit on the horse's back, he'd linger, look at the ocean, because it went out a mile. 
the steel pier went out a mile into the ocean. Wow. So um, the horse would maybe sort of dilly dally a little and then eventually kick off, jump into the tank. And that was the act. <laughs> and so for your uh, penny or five cents or whatever it cost you, it was part of the act. You could see that. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting how times and entertainment and uh, socially acceptable things for animals uh, have changed for the, for the good. And for oh, the most yes. Part. I mean, they could never, ever get away with that today. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then we'll go back to you get the call and it's the last diving horse. You're familiar with it. Yes. How do you scramble from there? How do you decide, okay, I got to rescue this horse? Cleveland was in the middle of the ocean on the QE2, but he would call from time to time. And I kept waiting for his call. And while I was waiting, I was doing research into the history of the diving horses. So I'd sort of have more ammunition because I wanted him to get this horse. It was very important to me. I had seen the act once when I was a child. I can't say that I liked it, but it made a big impression on me. I never forgot it. And finally he called and I told him I barely had started my sales pitch when he said, of course, we'll get the horse. And so he gave, when he got back, he gave me a blank check and sent me down to this auction in a rural part of Southern New Jersey. And I bought Gamal for $2,600. Very exciting. That was yeah. my first big assignment, I would say. <laughs> now, are you, were you familiar with horse auctions at the time? Or how did you know you, uh, no. you just keep bidding it up because it wasn't your money, you had a blank check? I uh, had never been to a horse auction. I had never owned a horse. I wasn't a rider. I mean, it's kind of bizarre the way that Gamal and I wound up together, but I have to think there were other forces at work because on paper, it doesn't really make sense. But the idea was that um, I would hold on to him. I found a uh, stable to board him and I would hold on to him until the funds ranch in Texas was ready. They were putting up new fence and it wasn't quite ready yet. So um, I was to hold on to him, but the fencing took much longer. It was supposed to be a few weeks and then it was a few months and then almost six months. And at that point, honestly, there wasn't anything that could persuade me to send the horse down to Texas. So that's how we wound up together. I convinced Mr. Amory, truthfully, that the horse was a bit old to be taking a trip like that to Texas. So he stayed with me for nine years, the last nine years of his life. Wow. And what a fascinating life. When I look at it, it should be on, uh, you know, uh, the story should be on the, the big screen, in my opinion, or streaming, mm -hmm. however it, uh, we do it nowadays. But uh, also, I mean, Gamel went from, uh, um, as I was reading through it, went from uh, location to location, barn to barn. He was a barrel racer. He was a rodeo horse. You know, he did the steel pier. I mean, kept going and going and going. And then just uh, even his last years, though, it was more, I would say, more peaceful and more relaxed. Still had a lot to accomplish all the way to the end. He did. And I would say he changed somewhat while he was with me. I certainly changed, but my observations of him was that he was softer and more yielding. In the beginning, he was kind of a tough character, maybe a little bit like a, uh, 
a carny, you know, a carnival mm-hmm. worker or something. And he was always testing me to see if I was up to snuff, which I wasn't. <laughs> but, you know, he'd kind of nudge me and get me into situations where, in one case, it was actually sink or swim. I used to take him to the Delaware River to, he liked water, he loved water. So I would walk him down to the river. And I thought he would be placid and just, you know, lap the water, splash around a little. No, he wanted to go into the river and swim. And the current is very strong in the Delaware River, and we could have been killed. And I always um, think of that as the literal watershed moment, because I thought, I can't let him do it. So I leapt onto his back, turned him around and forced him onto shore. And I think the whole dynamic of our relationship changed at that point. He allowed me to walk him back to the barn. The rope between us was slack, where in previously, he was always leading the way. And this time I was, and he allowed it. And I think he almost wanted it. Yeah, I love that, how it's a watershed moment, because not only in this situation, in your relationship, it, it obviously immediately uh, formed a new understanding or a new bond and relationship, but you go on to write about how he sort of uh, kick-started, I'll say, your um, work with saving other animals. He definitely did. At the time when I acquired Gamal, the fund was rescuing burrows from the Grand Canyon. The Park Service was had proposed to shoot them and get rid of them once and for all. And Mr. Amory would never stand for that. So he took them to court and a battle ensued. And eventually a judge gave the Fund for Animals 30 days to take the burrows out of the Grand Canyon. And amazingly, they accomplished the task, which the Park Service said was impossible. Once they got the burrows out, the question was what to do with them. So Cleveland started, well, first he sent me one burrow, I guess, to um, get my feet wet, so to speak. But um, then he um, told me he was going to be sending me a truckload of 40, and it was up to me to find homes for them. As with having a horse, I didn't know anything about burrows or donkeys, as they're also known. And adoption, I was kind of on shaky ground with that too. But Gamal, there was something about his steadying influence that allowed me to say, okay, I'll give it a try. And 40 burrows led to 40 more and 40 more and so on. Eventually, the fund rescued burrows from all over the West, um, Death Valley, places in New Mexico, all over. And it became 6,000 burrows and 4,000 wow. Mustangs. So yeah. I didn't personally do those adoptions, but Cleveland would send me to farms all over the country to, to people who had volunteered their property. And then I would show them how to screen applications, how to take care of the animals, that sort of thing. And I went all over. But I credit Gamal with that because before him, I never, ever would have had the nerve to do it. That's fantastic. I love that. So uh, even a, even a greater purpose, you know, here you are being a cog, we'll say in the will to rescue him, sort of say, mm-hmm. you know, the last word. Now we know uh, the true story as it always is. The animals always tend to rescue us and point yes. us in the right direction. 
So that's fantastic. And I was noticing on the uh, the back cover, uh, the uh, we talked about the steel pier in the, the little postcard on the back. And so for 25 cents, you can gain access to the steel pier with a souvenir program and guidebook. That's quite quite a bargain. <laughs> yes. And once you paid the 25 cents, everything else was free. There were two movie theaters and um, there was a bandstand. And then there was all kinds of other carnival acts, you know, high divers. And there was a dog that used to water ski on the Atlantic <laughs> Ocean. There was a diving bell that took people to the bottom of the ocean, which wasn't very deep at that point. Right. But still, but still. Yeah. What a what a bargain. In a, a fun-filled day for the whole family, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a commercial break. We'll come back and talk a little bit further with uh, author Cynthia Brannigan about her book, The Last Diving Horse in America. I also want to talk to Cynthia about writing the book and what she uncovered and how she went about crafting it into such a a wonderful, wonderful memoir and historical uh, book. So everybody hang tight. We'll come back right after this commercial break. You're listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Does your pet's breath leave a bit or a lot to be desired? You can give your pet the gift of sweeter breath and you'll get sweeter kisses with Probiora Pet. That breath is the result of harmful bacteria which lives in your pet's mouth. And that harmful bacteria can lead to serious health problems. The solution is to crowd out that bad bacteria with positive bacteria. All it takes is one scoop a day of Probiora Pet mixed into their food to replenish the good bacteria. That's it! This all-natural, no-taste, no-odor powder is the only dental care probiotic for pets which delivers beneficial bacteria which supports tooth and gum health and crowds out the bad. A healthy body starts with a healthy mouth and Probiora Pet is the best way to give your pet a healthy mouth. And our listeners get a 10% discount using PLR10 at checkout. To purchase, go to ProbioraHealth.com. That's ProbioraHealth.com and use code PLR10 at checkout for 10% off. Let's Talk Pets. Let's Talk Pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Continue our uh, conversation with author Cynthia Brannigan and her book, uh, The Last Diving Horse in America, Rescuing Gamel and Other Animals, Lessons in Living and Loving. So I know you've written other books before. So what brought you to the point where you're saying, I've got to get this story out. And then how do I uh, research it and get it out there in the proper form? Tell us a little bit about that process you had. Up until about... um let's say five or seven years ago, my life was consumed with finding homes for retired racing greyhounds. And both of my previous books were about greyhounds. The first was Adopting the Racing Greyhound, which was the first book of its kind on the market. And I was encouraging people to adopt because most of the retiring dogs did not meet a good end in those days. So I was encouraging people to adopt. And over the years, I also encouraged the people in the racing industry to do right by the dogs. And things did move in that direction. During the course of writing, adopting the racing greyhound, because I was involved firsthand, I was finding homes for them. So I knew the kinds of questions people had and 
what are the pitfalls, why some people shouldn't adopt a greyhound. But during the course of that, I found out that greyhounds were listed in numerous sources as the oldest breed of dog. And I'm very interested in history. So I had to look into that, which led to the second book, The Reign of the Greyhound. And that's the history of the greyhound family, perhaps not greyhounds specifically, Mm -hmm. but the whole family, which is dogs like uh, the Afghan hound, the Saluki, the Whippet, and so on, the long long legs, narrow head. In many states now, um, greyhound racing is illegal. So needless to say, I'm not overwhelmed with dogs as I used to be. It used to be every weekend, my group would take in loads of dogs. That doesn't happen. So I had now, so I had a little time to sit back and reflect. And of course, I never forgot Gamal, but I knew a little bit about the history of the Steel Pier and about Doc Carver. And I guess I've reached a point in my life where, you know, kind of taking stock and what does it all mean? That kind of thing. (laughs) What have you done with your life? And because of that, I started researching Doc Carver, the steel pier. There were still some people who knew Gamal and worked at the pier. So I was able to interview them and it began to take shape organically on its own. So it is a memoir, definitely like a coming of age book, I would say, a coming of age story, I should say. And it's a history of the steel pier. It's a history of what humans used to consider entertainment. And then I would say, above all, it's about Gamal. And what caused me to write the book ultimately was that I thought, if I don't, when I die, he'll be gone from the face of the earth. No one will ever know all of the things that he did, what he meant to me, how he changed me, how I changed him. You know, he was brave. He was emotional. He was intelligent. And I didn't think that the end of my life should also be the end of his memory. And so as ultimately, it's about Gamal. Very nice. Very nice. That's wonderful, Cynthia. And it comes out in the book, too, because like I said, I, the topic was unfamiliar to me. So that fascinated me. And then you did a wonderful job of blending in the history behind it and what's the still pier and what's all these carniacs and all the showmanship that went along with that. And then who is Gamel and what, it, what did Gamel mean to you and what it means, uh, what he means to others as well. So big kudos for you for blending all that in together so wonderfully. Thank you. So when people pick up a copy of the book, there's a lot to learn, lots of interesting stories, a lot of stuff going on. But is there a goal as a uh, author that you're wanting people, when they pick up a copy of the book, The Last Diving Horse in America, and they read through it, are there some takeaways? Is there something or one meaning that you're hoping to get across? Or is it really the uh, background of the history and the story of uh, Gamel? Well, I would say that one of the takeaways is that by really listening to the horse rather than talking to him. But by listening to him, I was um, able to learn a lot about how he perceived the world. And I'm hopeful that when people read the book, that they will maybe make the connection with their own animal, whether it's a cat, a dog, you know, a parrot, a horse, whatever, that maybe animal. I mean, my answer is obviously animals have a lot to teach us, but perhaps everyone doesn't realize that. And so maybe by reading the book, they'll see their own animal in a different light. Very good. It certainly is something that's very important. Um, But also the idea that this diving horse act really 
it wasn't that long ago when this is what people considered entertainment. And even with um, Doc Carver, in addition to being the world's greatest sharpshooter, in the end, he was shooting glass balls filled with feathers. But before that, he was actually shooting birds and they would mm. release them and he'd pop them off. And nobody thought anything of that. And now, of course, it's changed. He also was a buffalo hunter in his youth and, you know, many, many horrors like that. But um, I think it's important to think about how recently all of that happened right, and right. what's going on now that perhaps are things that shouldn't be going on. Yeah. So I'm hoping it'll open people's eyes to different things that are acceptable, but really shouldn't be. Absolutely. I love that. That's fantastic. Because really, when you take a look at America, we are so young, but things have changed so rapidly, but yet we haven't changed enough. And like you said, you, this reflects back, you'd look at something like this and think, oh, this is you know hundreds and hundreds of years ago when it's not. So uh, I love the fact that you have that sort of underlying message of uh, the changes in the, what was applicable then is not applicable now. And perhaps some of the things we're doing today uh, shouldn't be applicable any longer. So yes, good deal. Good deal. Well, Cynthia, where can people find the book, find out more about you and what's going on and uh, keep track of all your fun activities? Well, the book is, of course, on Amazon, but it's every bookstore, I think, has it at least right now because it's just it just came out a few weeks ago. I can or my organization, Make Peace with Animals, has a website and a Facebook page. So if you just type in Make Peace with Animals, you'll go to it and you can see that I'm still active with finding homes for retired racing greyhounds. There are only three full-time tracks left in the country three, which is incredible. Again, there, when I started doing this 30 something years ago, it was the sixth most popular spectator sport in the country. Wow, That's only 30 years ago. And now there are three tracks left soon to be two, but the dogs still need homes. So once a month or so we take in a a load of dogs and still finding homes for them. There you go. And you'll keep working at till there are no more left, right? That's exactly right. That's right. That's what I like to hear. And it's such a wonderful breed. I hate, hate the racing aspect of it. I love the work that you're doing. And the breed is just a a fantastic breed to have family uh, breed. So everybody uh, will definitely post that website and everybody help out any way they can. And then uh, who knows, maybe the next time I have you on, you'll have another book about how all the Greyhound racing sites are closed down now. That's a good idea. There you go. (laughs) I like it. I like it. Well, Cynthia, once again, the the book, everybody is called The Last Diving Horse in America, Rescuing Gromel and Other Animals, Lessons in Living and Loving by Cynthia Brannigan. Cynthia, thanks so much for coming on the show. Congratulations again on a great book. Thank you for all the wonderful work you do. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you uh, next time, hopefully with that book I just mentioned. Thank you. I'll get right on it. There you go. All right. Well, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank the producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, ideas, or people you want to see uh, on the show or here on the show, drop us a line. Uh, we're at PetLifeRadio.com. That's PetLifeRadio.com. And we'll entertain your uh, comments, uh, answer your questions, try to bring on the people you want to hear from most. And while you're there, check out all the other wonderful shows and hosts. It's a cornucopia of great entertainment. That's at PetLifeRadio.com. So everybody uh, 
until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. Put it in a blog, an article, a book. Who knows? You may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.